morning if we can. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. We'll read responsibly. I'll begin in 15. We'll begin together in verse 16. And we'll read in that pattern down through verse 18. Joshua here is addressing the nation of Israel just before he passes. He's been their leader for several decades. He's led them into their promised land. He's helped them to conquer their promised land. He's divided up the territories. And now he's instructing the the families one last time before he passes on to glory. Verse 15, he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Together, verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the ways wherein we went, and among all the people uh, through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Parenting That Pleases the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we consider this important, important truth. We're only as good as our next generation. Lord, uh, it will be uh, a, a blink of the eye before, Lord, I go from turning 40 till I go from, to turning 60 and begin the process of getting ready to hand the church off yet to the next generation. And Lord, I pray we would raise our children up in such a way that we have something to hand to them and they'll be ready to handle that. Lord, there are those in this room who are between 60 and 80, 60 and 100. And Lord, they've seen the passing of the baton from one to the next. God, it's so vitally important that those who go to church raise their children in a way to where they'll be in church, where they'll love you. Lord, that that is a matter of the home. That is a matter of, of, Lord, what we do at home each and every day when no one else is watching. So, Lord, as I preach today, give me wisdom to be able to help these families. And Lord, I pray You'd give them an understanding heart to go home and put these things in practice. Lord God, may You find us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. To the moms and dads who are dedicating their babies today, let me say how happy I am that You've chosen to dedicate Your child to loving the Lord. It bears saying that while the action itself is a sign of good intention, it must be followed up with you, listen now, You dedicating yourself to the Lord. You have to dedicate yourself to godly habits. You have to dedicate yourself to lead your children to a place where they will want to live for God. I say this every year, and I'm going to say it again this year. A pastor holding your baby and praying over your baby is not magic spoofle dust. If you go home and continue bad habits... The fact that your pastor prayed over your infant or toddler or young child isn't going to make any difference. You having me pray over your child is a sign that you want to raise them right. You have to go forth and raise them right. 
There are two babies in the Bible that come to mind when I think about parents who are dedicated to the Lord. First is baby Moses. You know the story of Moses. Moses was born at a time when baby boys were thrown in the river and killed. And uh, Moses' mother, uh, Jochebed, she determined that she was not going to have her baby killed. And so she kept him quiet in the house and until she no longer could. And then she had a bassinet made and uh, had the baby laid in that bassinet and uh, put in the river. And as providence would have it, as God's sovereignty would have it, that bassinet floated down to where Pharaoh's palace was. And lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter picked up baby Moses. And baby Moses was taken into the palace to be raised by Pharaoh, but in the uh, time that she drew that baby up out of the river there, uh, her, his sister came running up and said, I know a woman who would love to nurse that child and help take care of that child. And uh, uh, Jochebed got paid to nurse and love on her own child. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how God's hand was at work there? And you know what? Moses was raised for the first three, four, five years of his life by his mother and then turned over to the palace. Now watch this. Moses had wicked influence, pagan influences on him for the next 35 years. Next 35 years. Listen up. And you know what he did when he turned 40? He chose to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Are you catching that? He only had five years at most of godly influence. Those first five years were so critical that no one could change him from loving and serving God. Think about Samuel. Think about baby Samuel. His mom and dad had him. And here is baby Samuel. Mom and dad are going to give him to the Lord to serve. And so about the same age, four or five years old, he's turned over to Eli there uh, to serve the Lord there in the temple. And uh, Eli was a terrible parent. When I say he was a terrible parent, Eli's two children, they grew up and they were called in the Bible the sons of Belial. How wicked were Eli's children? They were sleeping with girls on the steps of the temple building out in the open. They were, they were eating meat that was raw out of the cauldron of meat that was prepared for them. In fact, the Bible says about Eli that when it came to his own two boys, he restrained them not. And God killed Eli at a young age because of his poor parenting. But Samuel, who was raised by Eli, just like those two boys, Samuel grew up and he loved God. Why? Because Eli's mother, from birth to the time he was weaned, Taught him to love God. Taught him to love God. I want to say to you this morning that if you have a newborn child or an infant or young toddler in your hands, these are the most critical years of their lives. Pour yourselves into them. Pour yourselves into them. Love them. Now, this isn't the only stage of parenting that matters, but in my humble opinion, in my study of the Bible, from now until the time they're about five years old, they're going to learn well beyond half of what they'll learn in life up through 18 in these critical years. And mom and dad, you need to be the one that teaches them that. I want us to look at Joshua chapter 24 this morning. We'll also look at a handful of other verses throughout the sermon, as is our custom. And I want us to look at five thoughts 
about parenting that pleases the Lord. And I recommend you take some copious notes, earmark this sermon online, go back, watch it, rewatch it, not because of who's preaching it, but because of the truth that's being preached. Let's get going this morning. Number one, notice Joshua's challenge. Joshua's challenge. Joshua had led the Israeli children, as I mentioned in the introduction, out of the desert into their new acquired homeland. They had set up shop. They were ready to begin normal lives in their own cities. They were ready to be their own country. The journey uh, to adulthood, marriage, and parenthood can feel like a trip from the wilderness... Uh, uh, to uh, from the wilderness of adolescence, I can remember being a teenager and working on a farm down in the southeast and wanting so badly to grow up, just hurry up and grow up and be married. I remember sitting in my parents' bedroom one day and talking to my parents and complaining that they were heading off to another adult activity at the church and I was stuck in the house babysitting my little six brothers and sisters and bossing them around. I wanted so bad to go and I wanted so bad to uh, work with uh, uh, be an adult and, and, and move past being a child. And I wanted to get married. I remember I got to Bible college and I was there to get a Bible diploma and, and learn the Bible. But uh, that was 1B. You say, what was 1A? Finding a wife. Amen. I wanted to be a married man so bad. And uh, I was looking and looking and looking for a prospect. And God led me to Angela. And I have found a wonderful woman who's taken good care of me over the last 16 years. But I remember those awkward stages of being a teenager and wondering if I was going to get to college and girls were even going to like me. And, and then finding a woman who not only liked me but fell in love with me. I'm going to share a little something here uh, real quick here. I remember uh, when we met. We met in March of uh, 2005, and um, uh, after, let's see, after spending just a handful of hours together, Angela was off with her friends, and she told her friends, she said, she barely even knew me yet, she said, I'm going to marry that man one day. She knew it. And you know why? Because I swept her right off her feet, amen? <laughs> I think we both swept the other one off each other's feet, I I was it was pretty close to love at first sight, but uh, into into marriage, and then uh, we uh, we prayed that God would give us babies, and God gave us two babies, and the the journey can feel like traveling from the wilderness into the promised land of being married, and then for some married couples, God gives children. Jo- Joshua is challenging God's people about parenting in this passage. He threw down the gauntlet, per se, and challenged them to raise the children to serve the Lord. So his challenge can be broken down this way. Letter A, notice the word distractions. Distractions. As we embark on the journey of parenting, and uh, we embark on the journey of being a, a team at a church who influences children to do right, Satan attempts to put distractions in your path to keep you from raising your children to love the Lord. These distractions, as Joshua outlined them, come in two forms. Notice below distractions, notice sins of the parents. Sins of the parents. Look at Joshua 24 and look at verse 15 with me. Look down there at your Bible. It says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Look here. Whether the gods which your fathers served, 
that were on the other side of the flood. He said, as you raise your children, you need to decide, are you going to serve the Lord or are you going to serve the gods of your parents? Are you going to follow, set your face like a flint and follow the Lord or are you going to allow past sins of generations to seep its way into your life and cause you to err from truth and err from leading people in the right doctrine? What we need this morning are some families who will say, My parents were broken. My grandparents were broken. Alcohol and drugs and illicit lifestyles defined a lot of that. I'm going to raise my family to serve the Lord. I'm not going to allow the sins of past generations to seep in. I'm going to be the one that breaks off that generational sin. I'm going to be the one that changes the course of family. I'm going to put in the work to dig up the dirt, to cause the river to change directions. And my children are not going to grow up seeing drugs or, or, or illicit behavior or, or alcoholic abuse. My children are going to grow up in a church house. My children are going to grow up to love God with all their heart. My children are going to grow up and see that I'm in love with God at home. Distractions. Satan wants to throw a lot of distractions in. He knows that if he can break down a man or woman and get them into habitual sin, that that habitual sin very well may run like a cancer generation after generation after generation. I'm talking about a dad who uh, is, is unfaithful to his wife, turns around and has a son who's unfaithful to his wife who has a grandson, now a son, another son grandson from the beginning unfaithful to his wife we need a man who stands up and says I'm not going to give in to the sins of my parents I'm going to set the right example for my children but not only the sins of the parents notice here he also addresses sins of their peers look back at Joshua 24 and look at verse 15 if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served on the uh, on uh, that were on the other side of the flood look at this next phrase or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell Your children may or may not know about the sins of your childhood or the sins of your parents or grandparents, but I'm going to tell you right now, our children are growing up in a world that is filled with sin and it's never been more available than it is right now. It is at every turn. It is everywhere we go. And I'm going to say this, that mankind is not more sinful today than it was a generation or two ago. Uh, sin is sin, and mankind had been sinful all the way back to Adam and Eve. For crying out loud, the first son born on earth, Cain, murdered his brother. Uh, uh, sin has run rampant through our world, going all the way back to that first family. But I'm going to say this to you, never has sin been more available than it is at this moment. And the devil is sharp at feeding your children poison. And he'll do it while you're trying to feed them truth. You be careful what you let your kids watch and listen to. Listen to me, church. Everything that's made for television, whether it's YouTube, TV, TikTok, uh, anything that's made for a screen, there is an agenda behind what's being made. Do you know what that agenda is? Do you know? When I was a kid, my parents sometimes would say, all right, go watch Saturday morning cartoons. How many of you grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons? Amen. Looney Tunes. Tasmanian Devil. Bugs Bunny. All right? I know it was violent, but it was hilarious, wasn't it? 
I go back and watch some of those old cartoons today like Popeye and I'm like, what did my parents let me watch? This is awful. And my parents were careful though. You know, there were shows in my home we weren't allowed to watch. My parents would vet them carefully. Can I tell you that with the higher volume of content available, you have to be on your game. Have to be on your game. There's no show that your children shouldn't watch that you're not heavily vetting first. I was visiting my brother last um, March, about a year ago. I was there for a funeral. One of our missionaries died and I flew out to Indiana to go attend the funeral. I was sitting there on his couch and my little niece, Leah, was, I think, two at the time. She's just running all over the place and my sister-in-law turns on the TV and she puts on a show about a, a friendly bus and... This bus smiles and talks to the other vehicles. and It's a pretty engaging show. In fact, I found myself wrapped up in this show. I'm, I'm a pastor in my 30s. And I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm glued, right? And she comes and sits on my lap and we're watching this show. And we're two, three episodes in and my sister-in-law says, it's time to shut it off. And I said, can't we just watch one more? How many of you have seen how these shows are very engaging, even for adults? If you're not careful, you can get sucked in. And we got one more episode in, and, and the bus put on a rainbow hat. And is wearing this rainbow hat all around. And they're celebrating LGBT pride in that episode. You see how subtle they get it in, even to our little children? You see that? Now, I'm not here to hate on any group of people. But I am here to say that in a world that complains about how hateful Christians are... Christians are the most hated people group on the planet. Moms and dads, you need to be on your toes. You need to understand that it is your job to shelter them from the evil sin that's in the world. And Satan wants everything he can to undo all of the good that you're doing. He'll do it through social media. He'll do it through a TV screen. He'll do it through a friend at school. He'll do it in a bunch of ways. And you must be on your toes. Distractions. Let her be. Notice devotion. Devotion. Joshua 24, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Look at here. Look at Joshua's resolve. Look at his devotion. But as for me and my house, finish it with me, church, we will serve the Lord. What does it mean to serve the Lord? Truthfully, we all serve something. We all serve something. Many of us serve materialism. Having the latest, greatest, name brand this or that. Many of us serve money. We'll run people over in order to make a buck or we'll, we'll ignore our family because we're trying to gain that extra dollar in our bank account. Maybe it's uh, maybe what you serve is that climbing the corporate ladder at work, uh, that promotion at work. Joshua was saying, I will take responsibility and I will lead my family. He said, I will serve my Lord. I will lead my family to serve the Lord. My children will look at me and they'll follow me as I serve the Lord. As a man who is called upon to lead in many aspects of my life, let me tell you something I've learned about leadership. 
Leadership is not so much about your telling people to follow you. Leadership is about you going somewhere other people desire to go, and they've come in behind and follow you naturally. I can't expect Angela to grow in the Lord if I'm not willing to lead her in growth. And I can't expect her to grow if I'm not willing to constantly be growing. I can't expect the church to grow if I'm not going to continue to grow. I can't expect my children to grow if I'm not going to grow. And many a father, they're willing to just sit on the sidelines and let the wife do all the work with raising the kids. And the father does nothing to grow himself in the Lord. Sir, what books are you reading? What blogs are you reading? How are you sharpening your own sword? When was the last time you picked up a book and and read a book about how to be a better husband? When was the last time you picked up a book or did a Bible study on how to be a better parent? When was the last time you read a book about how to be a better Christian? We need moms and dads who are devoted to the Lord. I shared with the church, I preached a completely different sermon at 8.15, but I did share this with the church at 8.15. I'll share it with you as well. One of the biggest impacts on my life as a small child was when I would come out of my bedroom in the morning and I would see my mother in the living room on her knees with her Bible open, her hands folded just like this, and she's praying, reading her Bible. Do you have any idea what that does to a seven-year-old boy? Do you have any idea how much that stirs the heart of a child to see, I'm not just going to church and hearing about being a good Christian. I don't have a mom and dad that are just telling me to be a Christian. My mom and dad are devoted Christians to the Lord. Look, you can come to church and you can look the part and you can talk the part. Your children know whether or not you love God. Devoted. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to this morning? What really matters to you? This past week I went to the store with my wife. We went to a store that had a long line to be waited in. This Christmas season there's some long lines at the stores. And so we game planned. We walked in and I stood in line and she went shopping. Amen. And when I got to the front of the line, she was done shopping. Guys, it's genius because it limits how long they can shop and how much money they can spend. Amen. All right, my wife's thrifty, so I don't have to worry about that. But hey, if she wasn't, it's a genius plan. So I'm standing in line and there's this, uh, there's this uh, woman standing behind me and she's got two kids. And I think the kids had to have been somewhere around three and six or seven. And um, I watched as her kids acted like kids. They picked up every toy there that could be picked up and played with. They picked up the candy. And you know what this mom did? She ignored her children. You know what she was doing? I'll show you what she was doing. I tried talking to her. She didn't say two words to me. That's awful, isn't it? Are you any better? You may not do it in the shopping line at the store, but do you do it at home? I was really convicted over this. I went to a park when my kids were little. 
And I was on my phone, sitting on the bench there, running up and down, going down the slide. And I put my phone down for a minute, and I looked at every other parent sitting on a bench, and all of them were locked into their phones. Not a single parent was paying any attention to their children. Let me just encourage you, live in the moment. When you come to church, put your phone away. Well, that's what I use for my Bible. Go buy a Bible. Amen. I know I'm meddling right now, but let me meddle. Go buy a Bible. Put your phone away. You don't need to be addicted to that stupid screen. And your children want your attention. Be devoted to the Lord. Be devoted to your kids. Joshua's challenge. Number two, the parents' commitment. The parents' commitment. Look at Joshua 24 with me. Look at verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What a great response. Look down at verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. This generation right here would become known as Israel's greatest generation. In fact, it's not even close. This was Israel's greatest generation. They looked at the unbelief and bad habits of their parents, and they chose to believe in God and said, You remember the Israelites back way back at Kadesh Barnea? Remember, I think that's Numbers 11. I may not have the right Numbers 14. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But you remember there? They said, We be not able. We're like grasshoppers in your sight. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, We have a God that can. We can do it. We be not able. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two. Anyway, okay, back to my uh, junior church days there. Ten were bad and two were good. What did, what, and, and listen, what happened was God said, Okay, everyone 20 and up is going to die in the wilderness. Everyone 19 and under is going to enter that promised land. And you know what they did? They watched as their parents walked around in unbelief and died in that wilderness, and then at, at that age of being ready, they marched into their promised land, and with God's help, they won the victory. They won the victory. They were Israel's greatest generation. They looked at their parents' bad habits and said, we're not going to do that. They looked at the idolatry of their peers and saw there's nothing to that, it's empty. They put their eyes uh, on their one true God and said, we will serve the Lord and we will teach our children to do the same. Today, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to dedicate yourself to raise your children to serve the Lord? I didn't ask if you're willing to dedicate your babies. I stood up here and held your babies and prayed over them. I asked, are you willing to dedicate yourself? Are you willing to deny yourself what you want to do? And things that you might say, well, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. Listen, let's set aside the question, what's wrong with it? Let's be mature Christians and let's ask this question. What's right with it? How is this going to help me be a parent? I think about Paul. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. He said, some things I'm allowed to do, but that would be cause, cause a stumbling block to other people. Look, there are a lot of things I could probably get away with doing, but the last thing I want to do is throw a stumbling block out in front of my children. I want my children to grow up and love the Lord with all their heart, and that might mean I've got to set aside some language. That might mean I have to set aside some habits. 
that might mean I have to set aside some things that would send a mixed signal to my young child's mind. We need parents who are deeply committed. I mean committed. Committed. I met with a couple of young ladies before church this morning who were going to be getting baptized at the end of the service. Very exciting. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I'll tell you what I told them and what I tell everyone who gets baptized. What's really sad is when we baptize people and then a month later they're not in church anywhere. Not only are they not in our church, they're not in church at all. I'm going to bury myself to raise to walk a new life in Christ, but I'm not in church. There have been years I've done a baby dedication service and preached a sermon like this. I've held a baby and prayed over that baby, and then that family went absent from church for the next year and a half. What message are you, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but what message are you sending that child? Church isn't important. It just isn't important. I like what Pastor King said from our pulpit earlier this year. He said, the greatest command to the Christian in the New Testament is go to church. It's not read your Bible. It's go to church. Because at church, you're reminded to read your Bible. It's not to love your neighbor. It's to go to church. Because at church, you're reminded to love your neighbor. He said, it's not soul winning. Because we go to church where we're reminded that we should go soul winning. Go to church. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to church. Hey, my parents had a rule. If there was a public church service, we were there. We didn't, my mom and dad didn't care about sleep schedules. They didn't care about any of that. They took us to church. And look, this was back when we had a training hour at 6 p.m. on Sunday night and then a church service at 7 and we got out of church at close to 9 o'clock. And we'd go home and we were falling asleep in the pew. We were falling asleep in the car. We were tired at school the next day. But you know what? We learn how to love God with all our hearts as children. Be faithful to church. I'm talking about being committed not only to church. I'm talking about being committed to a cleaned up lifestyle. Listen, here's the reality. If this is where you live, your children are going to put their center at the edges of your life. Likely. So if you live here, your children's center is going to be here and they're going to live out here. And if, and if they're here, your grandchildren are going to live out here. And you see how we're moving generation by generation further from the center of truth. I want to make that center as small as I can so that my children, if they decide to live out a little ways for me, they're still in, long, in line with God and His Word. Live a cleaned up lifestyle. Be willing to let God's Word be the final authority in your life. Number one, we see Joshua's challenge. Number two, the, pa- the parents' commitment. Number three, the Lord's credentials. The Lord's credentials. Look with me at Joshua 24, verse 17. We see God's power, letter A, God's power to deliver. Look there. The Bible says, For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight. I I grew up in a home with a mom and dad who had a whole lot of faith. And I watched God's hand do some mighty and powerful things in our lives. I watched as uh, God's hand was evident and obvious. You know what my parents always did when God stepped up and did something big for our family? They always took the time to point it out to us and tell us. Hey, look what God did here for us. Hey, look how God came through in this way for us. Hey, we didn't know what we were going to do here. And look how God came through. I remember one season of life, we were financially struggling. And and I remember a, a phone call my mom and dad had. And I was maybe 
eight, nine years old, and, and I heard my mom on the phone one summer day uh, with my dad, who was at the, at the Christian school working, and my mom said to my dad, um, some of the kids, their underwear has holes in them. I need to buy new underwear. And, and, and I could hear, close, standing close enough to my mom, I could hear my dad say, well, just hang on a little bit longer. We, we're going to be getting uh, paid for an extra job I did on the side, and we'll be able to afford that. And she said, but Tim, they're, they're outgrowing their shoes, and... And, and listen, I have crooked toes to this day because my parents I wore shoes that were literally got wore shoes that were too small for me in my childhood because my parents could not afford to even go buy us the cheapest shoes at Walmart. But I remember one one of those instances as a child, shortly after that phone call where I, I was pushing up against the end of my shoes, we went and visited my grandmother, and my grandmother said, "Everybody, hop in the car. We're going down to the store." Okay, we got down the store. She walks into a shoe store and she says, pick out whatever pair of shoes you want. I'm paying for them. That was the first time I ever owned a pair of name brand shoes. They were light ups. Let me tell you, man, I was bouncing off everything. How many of you had light up shoes growing up? Okay, yeah, you stomp and I probably have you know ankle problems today from all the stomping I did to get those shoes to light up. But man, I was so excited. You know what my parents said on the way back from my grandparents' house? They said we didn't tell anyone we had a need. We didn't even tell her, but we prayed and God came through. God came through. God's power to deliver. How many of you here can remember a time when you were struggling with sin and on your way to hell and you called on the name of Jesus and He saved your soul? Would you raise your hand? You have experienced the power of God in your life? Talk about that regularly with your kids. Share that with them. You don't have to go into gross detail about who you were before you got saved, especially if you were wrapped up in some sinful things. But you can tell them, boy, mom or dad, they weren't such a great person, and God came down and saved my soul and changed my life. Those, those Israeli parents told their children, it was God that brought us out of the land of Egypt. It was God that gave us our promised land. Let her be God's preservation of His people. God's preservation of His people. Look at Joshua 24, verse 17. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us, look here, preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. He said it was God that preserved us. It was God that got us here. It was God that got us from A to B. It was God that put His uh, angels around us to protect us. It was God that gave us victory over our enemies. Yes, we were like grasshoppers in their sight, metaphorically, but we overcame because God preserved His people. I just want to say this. If God can do it for the Israelites, God can do it for me and you. You say, Pastor Lejeune, what kind of a God do we serve? We serve a God who's all-powerful. We serve a God who desires to preserve and take care of. Even in our poorest days growing up, we always had food in the refrigerator. David said, I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Aren't you glad you have a God that provides your daily bread? Give Him praise for it. Let her see God's punishment of the wicked. God's punishment of the wicked. Verse 18, And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwell in the land. Therefore, 
We also serve the Lord, for He is our God. So, listen, if I'm getting this right, Joshua looks at these Israelites and he says, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Are you going to serve the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood? What did that get them? They're dead and buried in a desert sand somewhere. Or are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell? Well, hang on a minute here. The Israelites, uh, they, 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 uh, they logic. Uh, what good did the gods of the Amorites do? We defeated them. We got victory over them. Our God gave us victory over the gods of our fathers. Our God gave us victory over the gods of the Amorites. We will serve the Lord. And I look today around and I see Satan hard at work attacking homes and attacking children and, and, and bathing them in sinful worldliness. And I see a mom and dad who are bathed in sinful worldliness. Here's a realization I've come to now that I have teenage children. I was talking to my kids about this and they agreed. I've shared this to several people and the consensus is, is, is this. Teenagers are less mature versions of their parents. That's what they are. If you want to know my strengths and weaknesses, spend time with Matthew. He's just a less mature version of me. You want to know Angela's strengths and weaknesses? Spend time with April. And you know what? Your children are going to learn how to live life from you. It's funny, isn't it? Kids grow up and they do everything they can to push away from mom and dad. I'm not like my parents. I'm different than them. How many of you here have some kind of a nervous tick or, or habit and you go, oh, that's just like my mom or dad used to do? You know what I'm talking about? You can't get away from it. You just can't. You are going to become your parents on some level. You just are. Let me tell you, if my kids have any chance of living a holy life separate from the world, they have any chance at it, I'm going to have to model that for them. I'm going to have to show them that. Their mama is going to have to model that for them. You know why your son or daughter is carnal? It might be because you're carnal. You say, Pastor, I want my child to grow up and love the Lord. Then you better show them how to love the Lord. I want my child to be faithful to church. Then you better be faithful to church. I want my child to set aside worldly idolatry and sinfulness and pursue God with all his heart or all her mind. Then you better pursue the Lord with all your heart and all your mind. I sure don't want my children to grow up uh, living a lifestyle that brings about the punishment of God down upon them. The Lord's credentials. Number four, Joshua's caution. Joshua's caution. We see a little bit of a back and forth between Joshua and the Israelites. Joshua says to the Israelites, who are gathered together in a large mass, a large crowd, the nation gathered before him as he stands on an elevated plain, and he speaks to them, and he says to the Israelites, he says, Choose whom ye will serve. The people shout back in mass, We will serve the Lord. Joshua, you better, if not, God will punish you. Joshua worked to caution God's people against two big mistakes. Many parents that lose their children do so because they fall into the same trap that Joshua warned those parents that stood before them this day. Here are the two traps he warned them against. Letter A, he said, don't forsake God. Don't forsake God. Look down at verse 20. Joshua 24, verse 20. If 
ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt. See that? And consume you. After that, He hath done you good. Wow. So, what's the saying here? After God does all of these things for you to bless you and help you, He delivers you from sin and eternity and hell. He preserves you uh, in the day-to-day life. And then you want to turn your back on Him and forget about Him. The Bible says if you want to go that route, you will bring upon yourself great hurt, great pain. As rules, Angela and I, or rather as parents, Angela and I have rules that govern our home. I think back to when our children were really small. We put these three rules on the refrigerator. Let me encourage all the parents in here with small children to write these three rules down. And let me encourage you to put these three rules or rules like them on your refrigerator. Here are the three rules. Obey first time, every time. Obey first time, every time. Rule number two. Never tell a lie. Never tell a lie. Rule number three. Keep a good attitude. Keep a good attitude. Now, when our children... This is just very practical parenting advice. When our children were little and they broke one of those rules, we would walk them over to the refrigerator... And when they, before they were old enough to read, we would point at the rule and say, that says, obey first time, every time. You did not listen. You did not obey. You are in trouble. When they got old enough to read, we had them read it out loud. And then we sent them to their room to wait on their bed. Now, uh, sidebar to a sidebar. If your children have video game systems in their room, don't send them to their room. Okay? Have them go sit in the bathroom or something. All right? I don't think it's a good idea to let your kids have video game systems in their room, but that's, you know, that's not in the Bible. That's just... Anyway. Don't send them to a place where they're going to have more fun. Right? Send them, but we'd send our kids to our room. They had to sit on their bed and they had to wait there. Now watch this. I'm taking this somewhere. Stay with me here. We would take the time to cool down. I've never once spanked either one of my kids out of anger. Not once. Not one time. Now, sometimes I've had to sit in the room for a few hours while I cooled down because I was boiling hot. That's fine. Man, one time my dad left me in my room for like a whole day because he was so upset with me. Okay, I got up, went to the bathroom. My mom brought me dinner, amen, in the room. I didn't have to starve to death. Thank you, Mom. Amen. But wait a couple hours or take as long as it takes for you to calm down. Step three, get on your knees and pray. I don't know how many times I've gone to my bedroom and I've gotten on my knees by my bed and I've said, Lord, help me to go in there and be effective in how I discipline this child. Then when I go into the child's room, we have a conversation. Here's 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 the key to getting your child to grow up and do right. Step number one when you enter the room, get them to admit what they did wrong. Get them to say it out loud. I disobeyed my parents. If they can't say the word disobey because they're too little, then 
I didn't listen. You find a way to get them to say it, all right? Get them to repeat it. It's really cute. Say, say I disobey. I disobey. Get them to admit it out loud. Then uh, distribute the punishment. We spanked our kids. That's in the Bible. You don't like it, take it up with the Lord. Don't take it up with me. Okay? We spanked our kids. Now, we didn't beat them. We were under control. We gave the amount of lashes that we went in with the purpose of giving. We never left a mark on them. We distributed the punishment. They cried. We embraced. We prayed. You know what I told my kids? And this is where we're getting back to the sermon. You didn't just hurt me or your mom. You hurt the Lord. You hurt the Lord. You didn't just disobey me. You disobeyed the Lord. You don't just owe me an apology. You don't just owe your mother an apology. You owe the Lord an apology. You didn't just lie to me. You didn't just have a bad attitude with me. You hurt the Lord. Then we have them pray and tell the Lord they're sorry. Then we quote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I look them in the eye, and I say to them, you going to do that again? No. And then we go out the room, and we're reconciled. We're reconciled. You'd be wise to follow that pattern. Because you know what you're teaching them? Doing wrong isn't just a problem about bothering me. Doing wrong is a problem with hurting God. Letter B. Don't follow strange gods. Look at verse 20. He talks about forsaking the Lord. It says, if ye forsake the Lord, look here, and serve strange gods. Are there strange gods today? Are they around? You know, you don't walk down the street, at least not in the U.S. of A. You don't walk down the street and see like some, you know, grove built where they're bowing down to some piece of stone or, you know, some piece of ceramic. You don't see that. But there are still false gods today, are there not? You know, in the Old Testament, um, some of these gods were fertility. Where they wanted the ground to bring forth. I believe that was Baal or Baal. You had other gods that was uh, worshipping sexual deviance. You have other gods that was worshipping the, the murder of babies. Do you think those gods are still alive in our world today? They just don't come in the form of a stone. But boy, they... Maybe now they come in the form of a screen and the content on a screen, does it not? Do you think that today it is harder to teach or to identify a false god than maybe it was back in, you know, Joshua's day when this was written? You would literally walk in and see somebody with a grove in their house bowing down to a piece of stone. I'm not going to walk into your house and find that you do that, probably. But maybe if we were to check your TV history, we'd find that that's been going on. You get these little kids walking around, and you know what? They know what you're watching on TV. I'm going to tell on my dad here. If you're watching this online, Dad, I'm sorry for sharing this, all right? But it makes a point. When I was a little boy, my parents sent me to bed. I was probably 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. I went to bed, and I couldn't sleep. I tossed and turned and tossed and turned, and then I got up. And um, I tiptoed out of my room and tiptoed around the corner, and my dad was watching TV. And so I stood where I could peek around the corner and watch that TV. And he was watching some movie on TV about clowns. 
Clowns. You know the clown movie, the guy comes out of the sewer? I don't, I don't even know the name of it. What is it? it? Oh, it. Okay. Man, I didn't sleep that night. Not a wink. That scared the daylights out of me. I still wake up seeing clowns sometimes. Now, that's a funny story. But the reality is your kids are watching. They're watching when you don't know they're watching. They see you doing things that you don't even know they saw. If you're following a strange God in in private, even if you're trying to hide it from them, either directly or indirectly, they know. They know. There was a pastor who had a 12-year-old boy who was very tender-hearted. And that 12-year-old went from being tender-hearted to rebellious and turned to be 18 and left home and dipped his life in heavy sin. And Mom and Dad were bewildered and confused as to why it happened. Finally, one day, they got the boy alone and got him to open up and say why he had gone from being devoted to not devoted. He said, Dad, when I was 12, I snuck down the stairs to my bedroom. Stairs were carpeted. He said, you didn't hear me. He said, you're sitting on the couch with your back to me. You had your laptop open. I was down behind the couch and I was going to scare you. But when I came up, I peered over the edge of the couch and I saw that you were looking at pornography. You're a pastor, Dad. You're still a pastor. He said, I realized you were just a big hypocrite. He said, I snuck back up the stairs. You never knew I was there, and I left. Dad dropped his head and started to cry. Now, I'm not saying that everything that child does wrong from that point forward is all on Dad. That young man's got to take personal responsibility. But parents, you have to be careful because you don't know what your kids see. Those, those are the hidden gods in our lives. But how about the open gods in our lives? Where we're missing church because we want to take our kids to a sports league. Or we're missing church because we're going to a music concert. Or entertainment is more important than the Lord. Write this down. What you do on Sunday morning is your God. If you sleep in on Sunday morning, then sleep is your God. If you're out going to a music concert on Sunday morning, then music and entertainment is your God. If you're working on Sunday morning, then either work or money is your God. You show me what you do on Sunday morning, and I'll show you who your God is. If your kids ever have to say to you, are we going to church today? You're not faithful enough. Man, if we didn't go to church on a Sunday, which was never, I mean never, but if we'd woken up one Sunday morning, it had been 9 o'clock and my dad was still in his pajamas, I'd have been like, what is, what is happening? We knew. We got up Sunday morning, we got dressed, we went to church. Joshua's caution. Number five, lastly, notice Israel's commemoration. Look at verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, took a great stone and set it up there, 
under an oak that was uh, by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for he hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. To the parents today, I would say you were handed a piece of paper on certificate paper, paper, uh, paper um, you were given either a blue or pink New Testament, depending on the gender of your child. These rocks were meant to memorialize or commemorate the people's decision to dedicate themselves to serve the Lord. They built a pile of rocks. As to say, this pile of rocks right here symbolizes the decision we're making today. So that years from now, when boys and girls walk up and say, hey, what was this pile of rocks about? Moms and dads can say the generations to come, that pile of rocks right there was put here because we made a commitment to serve the Lord. What does that little New Testament and that certificate represent? It represents a commemoration that one day, your little boy will pick up that blue New Testament and say, hey mom, what is this? And you can say, that is the New Testament that commemorates the fact that mom and dad are raising you to love God. The young girl, hey mom, what is this pink New Testament? Back in December of 2023, me and your father stood on the platform of the church and we gave our hearts to raise you to love the Lord. That's what that represents. Mom and dad, if your children are going to serve the Lord, then you must dedicate yourself to be serious about the things of the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. To those of you without children in the room or your children are grown, thank you for allowing me to challenge these parents. Thank you for your gracious spirit. Many of us in here are raising children. Some are raising grandchildren. I think we need to look deep inside our heart and ask if we are the Christians we want them to become. If inside this pulpit I had spoofle dust to guarantee your child would love the Lord, I guarantee you, I promise you, I would use it. But there is no magic spoofle dust. The only way your children are going to grow up and love the Lord is if you model it before them. You bathe them in prayer. And God steps in and makes the difference where you fall short. I wonder how many of you parents this morning here would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray for me and my spouse, or maybe you're a single parent here today. Pray for me. And God will give me the strength and wisdom to choose this day to serve the Lord. Pray for, pray for us today. Pray for me today that our children will grow up dedicated to God because their mom and dad was dedicated to God. If that's your prayer, would you just raise your hand where you are? I want to serve the Lord. I want my family to serve the Lord. Lord God, these truths are vitally important. Oh, how we need them. Lord God, help us with them. Be with our time of invitation in Jesus' name.